Hello, and welcome to Storytelling for Business, the podcast that helps you build better customer relationships by telling stories your clients want to hear. I'm Katie Flamen. I'm a voiceover artist specialising in corporate storytelling. I've worked with clients like Fidelity, Barclays Bank and Deloitte, helping them to share brand stories and business developments. But why is business storytelling important? What makes a great story? And how can storytelling create leads for businesses and build lasting client relationships? I'm determined to find out the answers and anything I discover, you'll be the first to know. Now, do you remember in episode one, Gareth Dimelo said that you are your own USP? Well, today's guest is truly unique. Episode eight is about being authentic and owning your story. So let's meet independent financial advisor, Di Rose. Di Rose is a financial advisor with a bit of a difference. His business is called Sterling Welsh and they're based in Cardiff and Swansea. And they help people with mortgages and personal finance. The financial services industry is traditionally pretty straight-laced and of course money matters are important and serious. But Di does things a bit differently. And he's proved that just because it's a serious business, it doesn't have to be dull in the way that it's marketed. And Di himself is definitely not boring. So let's jump right in and find out about this thriving company, how it stands out from the crowd and the story behind it. So welcome to the podcast, Di. Hi, Katie. Good morning. Thanks so much for being here. It's brilliant to talk to you. That's okay. Likewise. Looking forward to it. So let's start by finding out a bit more about your business. Just tell me what you do and um, the headlines, if you were explaining to somebody what you do. Okay, so um, we're a a financial company. We do personal finances. So that may be anything from uh, mortgages, um, pensions. We do investments. Uh, We help people in inheritance tax problems. So any sort of personal finance issues we, we, we will deal with. When people come to your company, are they kind of completely clued up about what they need or how to go about it? Or are people quite often a little bit in the dark and a bit kind of anxious? A small percentage of them know what they want, but they're certainly in the minority. The the majority of our um, clients essentially come to us and say something like, oh, I don't have a pension and, you know, I don't really understand how it works. I don't know. Um, what I need to do, um, and, and most of them are sort of in the dark. They they put money into a pension because they think it's a good idea, or they they save up for their kids to go to school, or whatever they may be doing. But they don't really reset any goals or know where they where they're going or which sort of path they're on. So what we tend to do, like I said, we 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 try and be different. So we don't bore them with stock markets and and guilt rates and all the rest of it. The most financial advisors do we. We sit down with them and we sort of set goals and we say, right, okay, when well, you want to retire at 60 or 55 or whatever it might be, um, this is how much money you need. This is the sort of lifestyle that you may want. Um, and we, we go through that and we get to know them. And when we know that and we, we, we work out their, their, their magic number, should we say, um, then what I do is I work on a plan with them to see how long really it's going to take them to get there because they can always get there as long as they're prepared to do uh, what it takes and they can always get there but it's just we, we just help them work with that really and that's all it is in, in simple terms that's what we do and why do you think because if people people don't really have a clue and stuff there's quite a lot of um maybe head in the sand sort of 
attitude sometimes or like you said they take out a pension but but just because they think that's what they have to do but don't really have a full understanding of it so under those circumstances why do people go for your company what do you think that you do that reassures people immediately I, th- I think we're, uh, we're different in the sense that um, I mean if you look at our our website there's a there's a photograph of an eight-year-old boy on there and we, we say very clearly look we, we'll explain this so that an eight-year-old can understand it and and that's generally what we, we try and do we try and break it down so that it's simple it's straightforward because actually personal finance when you do break it down it's not that scary it's actually quite straightforward um, there are really three things you can ch- you can change: how long you save for, how much you save, and how much risk you take. Uh, and when we break that down, we distill it into those three things, and we we talk to the client. You know, we talk to them quite a lot about risk and how much. I call it the Goldilocks approach. You know, so you don't want to take too much risk. You don't want to take too little risk. You know, we want to get it just right. You know, so um, once we've got that bit sorted, and, and we know what sort of lifestyle they plan to lead when you know when they get to whatever age they decide they want to retire at. We then work out, well, okay, well, based on how much risk you want to take, based on how long we've got, basically, I can tell you how much you need to save. And that's essentially that's all it is. But we do that in a way that, like I said, an eight-year-old could understand it. Yeah, I mean, I love, I loved your website when I had a good look around. Um, you've got a, a, a video on there with you talking. Yeah. Um, so tell us, what do you say in your video that made me smile? Um, we basically, I, I've got this thing about financial advisors and, um, you know, the, the stereotype is that the, you know, they're generally males, they're generally gray, they're generally in their fifties and boring. Um, and, and we say on the website, look, none of us wear Rolexes, which, which we don't, we don't drive Ferraris and there's nobody in the office called Tarquin. So, um, yeah, we, we, we play on that a little bit because again, I think it just breaks down those barriers and. People know then what what they can expect when they speak to myself or one of my colleagues. Um, you know, we're not going to talk jargon at them for an hour and a half. Um, we we talk to them about what they want to talk about. We we let them set the agenda, and I think that puts people at ease, and then they're more likely then to tell us the things that we actually need. And all the boring stuff, you know, like where do you work, and we, we sort of let them do that behind the scenes. We've got a portal, and we let them log in, and they can fill all that stuff in later but when we spend time with them when i sit in front of the clients i just talk about what they want and you know what their aspirations are uh, and that tends to engage them and they, they give us a lot more then and we can help them better see i think every business can learn lessons from this because you talked about putting people at their ease um i mean i think it's about creating trust really if if you know if you're pledging your financial management to somebody <laughs> trust is clearly the main thing you the customer need to be feeling and but actually that works with any business I would think you've got to you've got to trust the person who's providing the service or selling you the product, um, or it's not gonna it's not gonna land, is it? The deal. Absolutely, and um, you know, particularly in our, our industry, um, people are essentially entrusting us with their with their life savings. I mean, a pension is is exactly that. It's it's your life savings, and if you get it wrong, there are a couple of things that are going to happen. You're either going to have to work longer. Or you're going to have to live a diminished lifestyle as a result of not having enough money, you know. So, so we, you know, we, we're very, we're acutely aware of that. Um, and our job and our mission is to make sure. And I don't want to sound corny about this, but we just want to make sure that we get it right because we care. We, do, we and, and if that comes across in that first meeting, um, then then people will they will sign up and they'll 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 work with us. And that's all we try and do really. Um, we try to give them something as well that they can, you know, something that they can 
leave the meeting understanding. Actually, this isn't as difficult as I perhaps thought it was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Brilliant. So you've been running your business since, I think, is it 2008 you started? Yes. Yeah, 2008. So what were you doing before then? Well, this is a bit of a story and um, I, I, I tell this quite a lot, but I was, um, so I went to university and studied to be a, a pharmacist. I left um, in 2001 after finishing the course and I embarked on a, a, a journey or a career as a hospital pharmacist and I worked in a large teaching hospital. Um, I enjoyed that job very much. Um, at the time I, st- I started buying properties, I got interested in buying properties and um, as a result of being interested in that, I, I, you know, I surrounded my friends with doctors. They all started asking me, well, how do you do it? And, and I started sort of informally advising them. We were having chats in the, in the tea room and at lunch breaks and things. And, um, yeah, I, I sort of worked my way through the ranks. And as you get more senior, I mean, everyone will know what the NHS is like. But as you get more senior, you find yourself working weekends and Christmas and stuff. And... In 2008, we had our first daughter, Charlotte, and my wife's also a pharmacist, and she wanted to give up work um, to look after Charlotte. And ultimately, um, you know, the need was to to replace her income. So, so what I did, I said, well, you know, I really like doing this. I'm gonna, I've sort of been doing it for free. Let's see if I can turn it into a business. And that's what I did. So I did that for a couple of years, and we grew fairly significantly. And you know, I really enjoyed doing it because, like I said, as a pharmacist, you're helping people out and doing this I was also helping people out and you know I got the business established and there were three or four other guys working with me and it came to a point where I wanted to take Charlotte and my son that we had at the time uh, a couple of years later we wanted to go to Disney and I couldn't get I wanted four weeks off because we wanted to go to Disney we wanted to go on a cruise afterwards and I just couldn't get the time off because of my position in the hospital and I thought you know as much as I love this job, I think actually it's time to think about doing something else. And so that's what I did. I, I, I left the NHS and everyone thought I was mad. My parents thought I was absolutely <laughs> bonkers. Um, and I left the NHS with this great job and and, and I went to, to do this full time. So, um, yeah, that, that was the story, really. And, um, you know, a lot of what I learned as a, as, a, as a pharmacist, like I said, looking after people's health, and now I'm looking after people's wealth. That wasn't pre-planned. That just came out. But um, <laughs> you know, it's it's the same. It's the same sort of thing, really. You know, you just you're just looking after people. And as long as you actually, and I think this is quite important, as you care about the people you're working with, then actually it's quite easy. Mm. You know? mm. I think that's I think that's really interesting to talk about that coming from that caring background and to be working with clients now health and wealth and all of that stuff but it is about caring and and I think that really comes across with you um maybe more than than other people I think you're I mean what would you say this I put you on the spot what would you say your personal values are and do you think that they're the same for your business absolutely 100% they, they have to be don't they because otherwise you're you're a fraud to yourself you're a fraud to the business so I think um the very simple thing when I when I take on a new financial advisor, the very simple advice I give them on day one is: look, if you wouldn't recommend that your mum or your granny does this, then you don't recommend it. Simple as that. You know, if it's not the right thing to do, and you know it's difficult because the right thing to do is very different in certain in different circumstances. But ultimately, 
Um, that's the best personal value you can have. Don't recommend something unless you tell your mum or your dad or your brother or your sister to do it, as long as you get on with them. <laughs> um, you know, but just don't do it unless it's the right thing to do. Unless, as long as you think like that. I mean, you go into work thinking like that, and ultimately you'll never, ever get it wrong. And touch, you know, we've been going since 2008. We've never had a complaint. I don't envisage just having a complaint. That's not, I'm not, I'm not being cocky or arrogant here. It's just because you have those values as long, because, you know, as you know, financial advisors don't have the best um, kudos. They they are seen, you know, they are viewed with suspicion. Um, in the 80s, they were allowed to get away with murder, um, not, not literally, but, you know, financial murder. Yeah, yeah. They could pretty much do what they want, charge what they want. Returns were regardless, they, they, you know, and then obviously the FCA came in and they tidied all of that up. They made... Uh, all financial advisors do a diploma, and that got rid of a lot of people because it was difficult and took some time to do. Um, so since that, I think it, the, the industry has sort of self-regulated itself. But but ultimately, if you've got the values that we talked about earlier, you don't really need the regulation. But it is there to protect the consumer against you know the odd rogue that still lies out there. And we've seen the British Steel scandal recently, you know, where financial advisors were talking people into moving their pensions pretty much for their financial gain, not the clients. And, um, you know, that's a bad example of where it does go wrong. But, yeah, I wouldn't have recommended that. I didn't recommend any British steel transfers, and I suppose it sums that up. Mm, mm, definitely. So family is obviously really important to you. Um, it's not a family business, but your family values are, are, are in there as well. You talked about not recommending things to you. D- don't do something you wouldn't recommend to your wife or your mum or something like that. How how important do you think is your your family background? You're a family man. You've got kids. You've got a dog, I think. I have, yeah. I've got a crazy Springer Spaniel who we can be found walking down. We live in the Galpin, next to the Galpin Peninsula. So, uh, yeah, we're off the, we were there on, on the weekend walking her. So, yeah, I think, you know, family is really important. And, and, and you know, the, the, as I said earlier, the whole reason I started the business was linked to the family. Um, you know, I... I fit the business in with the family, not the other way around. Again, when I started, that was different. But now, obviously, you know, we're established. We've got lots of good clients. Um, you know, I, I, for instance, I don't work uh, on a Friday afternoon. I never work weekends. I don't work Christmas. I make sure I have all, all the school holidays off with the kids so that we can go somewhere nice or at least I can spend time with them. So, yeah, family's really important. Um, I make sure that... Um, you know, I, I've said to you before, my youngest son plays rugby and I coach their, their, their side. So I make sure, you know, I spend four or five hours a week um, coaching rugby and then, you know, I make sure I always watch them. And, you know, having your own business, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure and a curse, isn't it? But, you know, I always go to the, the nativities and the sports days and the things like that because the business now can fit in with that. So, yeah, family is really, really important to me, always has been. Mm, I think that's that's also a good place to be coming from a good place of grounding because if you've got you're putting your family first you're also putting your clients families first essentially by the service you offer for them i think it's i think i think what i'm trying to do with this series really is find out how businesses use storytelling in their marketing and i think what what you do with your business from what i can what i what i've gained from speaking to you and what i've gained from looking at your website is that the story that you tell in your business is really the story of die. Um, it's it's right there, isn't it? It's all one the same thing. Yeah, I suppose it is. And and, and ultimately, um, everyone's got a story of die or, or of Katie. And ultimately, it, yeah, it is. It's 
it's you know the, the it's it's always the same, isn't it? You 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 go to school, you leave school, you get a job, you sort of you get a house if you if you're lucky enough, you know you buy a house, and then you you, you might, if you also if you're lucky enough, you get kids, you look after them, they leave, and you know there's there's a financial journey that we we all go on. Um, largely, it's similar, and you know some people have have better time along the way than others, but ultimately, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, my last week, I'll give an example last. Last week, I spoke to a guy who had seven million pounds to invest, um, and I spoke to another guy, and and he was in his early sixties, and I spoke to another gentleman who's in his mid seventies who was still working because again he'd been let down by a financial advisor, and he had um, I think fifty thousand pounds to invest, but they both had the same treatment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because ultimately they and and again you could look at them and say well they're on the same path but they're not because the multi millionaires got very different issues to solve than the the gentleman who's still driving a bus in his mid seventies, you know. So, um, yeah, it's it, it it's it's every day is different, every client is different. But like I say, as long as you go back to those core values, you always end up with the best result. And I think hopefully that's answered that question. But yeah, what do you love about your job? People, I love. You know, I've always loved um, speaking to people. Um, I love being around people. Um, you know, I like getting to learn about um, people's aspirations. I mean, you know, since two thousand eight, what's that? It's, it's getting on for twenty years now. I've seen I've seen clients that I've taken on um, that they've had their first mortgages. You see their kids coming into the world. You work on things to help them pay for things for their kids, whether that be a, a private education or for them to buy their first home. Um, you, I've seen people retiring that they were working when I started. You know, I've seen I've seen all sorts and and going on that journey because if you do look after clients, they're clients for life. You know, and and if you do look at and I, and I've never lost a client. You know, once I get a client, I've never lost one. So going on that journey with them and you know even things like um, you know at Christmas time there was a there was a knock on the door and someone dropped a, there was a hamper for us and my wife's like oh my gosh this is brilliant. Um, it should be the other way around, you know. You should be sending your client, which we do, by the way. But um, you know, but to get stuff off clients at that time of year just just goes to show that they do become friends. And again, I don't want it to sound corny because it's because it's not because they they generally are friends. I mean, you you're looking after their life savings, and you you know you're you're helping them reach their goals and their dreams, and um, you know, and and often it it does go well if people plan their finances properly. It does go well. I mean, it, you know, hasn't gone that well in the last 12 months, has it? But everyone knows where they are. We, we talk to people. We understand what – so they understand what's going on. And then actually the journey becomes easier. It's a blip along the way. It's not It's not a catastrophe, you know? Um, so, yeah, that's why I enjoy it. But I just I just like being with people. That's a lovely answer. And this is uh, <laughs> this is – just going back to what you said about coaching the rugby and the kids, is there anything yeah. you've learned – from doing that that you're able to put into practice in your business gosh that's a good question um well one one thing is um and, and again this this is probably the, the the biggest takeaway is that kids are not little adults um i've also got a teenage girl now so that's another manifestation of that kids are yeah certainly they're a whole new species teenage girls no I, absolutely and and i think um you know we, we talked earlier about having different clients but in in a, in a rugby club environment, you you get lots of different kinds of kids, right? So you get kids that are from affluent backgrounds. You get kids that are from you know one parent families. 
So I think what I have learned is 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 sort of understanding how how to speak to different people and how you know the aspirations of a one of a single parent mum in a rented house are very different to two point four children. You know, with um, those kids and you know their aspiration. Well, how am I going to pay for university? How am I going to make sure they get their first car and house? And then you know the single mum may be thinking, well, how am I going to feed them next week? You know, um, and those things. So to to getting used to different people, I think has been. A, a good learn actually from 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 yeah from being in that environment. Mm. And I've been in, I've played rugby all my life, but you know it's it's interesting when you're when you're on the other end because the kids literally I mean for some of them and it sounds again it sounds a bit weird but we like we like second dad. I mean some of them don't know their dads, you know, and we're the only male figures they have in their lives. So you know, and again it's go, it goes back to that respect, doesn't it? And the and the things that you you try and indoctrinate in these kids when you. You know the, the manners, and you know, you know, because rugby is all about that. You know, yes, yeah, a tough game is a very tough sport, but it's all about discipline and respect. And you know, and some of these kids don't have that when they first turn up. So yeah, learn, learn. I've learned a lot from coaching rugby, but mainly it's how to talk to, you know, different little human beings, and and, and you know, you hone your skills, I suppose, and in order to get them what, to do what you need them to do in order to be good rugby players. And are they good rugby players? They are actually, yeah. Um, so we've got. At under twelves level, which they are at the minute. The year before, we um, they 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 go to play what's called representative rugby. So in Wales, you get to play. It's called schoolboys rugby, schoolgirls rugby, and ultimately you you go to trials and you get if you're good enough, you get selected. So we've got I think we've got twenty eight kids in our side, and fifteen of them last year got selected for schoolboys. You know, which is like a a club record. So yeah, they are good. Um, they're very good. They work hard, um, but and they're a lovely bunch of kids, um, and they love the game, which helps. But yeah, they are. They they're, they're very good. They got to the final, so they they play in a competition, and they actually got to the final. And they got to play at the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so that was a great day out. Yeah, that was that was good fun. And we sponsor the club as well. So yeah, we're I'm 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 fully 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 loaded <laughs> with the with the rugby for the next couple of years, I think. Definitely. I think you're stuck there. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, what, what a great story. Well, I think, I think we've, we've covered all kinds of stuff, but I just wanted to know which direction do you think your story is going to take in the next kind of three to five years, your business or your life? Or it's quite, it's quite a big chunk of time to ask about, but what do you reckon? Well, um, one thing... Going back to the you know the rugby thing that we, we we talked about, there was something that horrified me not so long ago. Um, we, excuse me, <coughs> Wells were playing um, a team called Georgia down in the Millennium Stadium, and we got I arranged for all the kids to go down and watch watch the game. Okay, and we took like two hundred and fifty families, so the kids and mums and dads from from the, the club down to Cardiff, which is about an hour's drive, wherever it is, and there were kids. Um, some of the kids weren't going from our section. And, you know, when I sort of dug around a little bit and found out that it was essentially because they couldn't afford to go. When I dug a little bit deeper, I found that not only could they not afford to go, these some of these mums were struggling to feed their kids, which absolutely horrified me. Mm. So um, mm. what, I, what I'd like to do is I'd, I'm, I'm the business in a position now where we can, we can start to give some stuff back, okay? And... What I'd really like to be in the position to do, I mean, I don't want any kids to be hungry. And again, you, this, this is, even saying it, I get quite emotional about it because there shouldn't be kids um, 
around living around me that, that can't afford to be you know the parents can't afford to feed them so i want to try and do something around that i i want to i want to do two things i want to educate kids in school about money because i think um, and i'm sorry if there are any teachers listening that the coaching that they get in school is woefully inadequate um and it's not difficult to teach kids about interest about savings about you know, not using credit cards, not getting into debt, not using payday loans, all of these trappings that are that are out there and they're marketed at, at weak and vulnerable um members of our society. So I'd like I'd like to do that. I'd like to put a program together uh where we you're totally for free without earning any money from it, where we teach kids about money, because I think we should. I think it's as important as English and maths and literacy. It's, it, for me it is anyway. Um, so I'd like to do that, and I'd like to do something whereby, you know, we can look after kids. And and, and these are not, you know, you, you can't give money to, to charities because ultimately uh, you can. But I don't think that will fix that particular problem. So working out in a local community how the business can fund things. Like, you know, we've thought about doing things like Hello Fresh, you know, so that, um, look again, I know there are other gusto, there are other people available that deliver food. But sponsoring things like that, you know, so that there aren't kids um, going hungry. Because I think, you know, if, if you're doing well in life, you can live in this this little bubble, can't you? You're not aware of it. But because of what I do with the rugby, um, you know, I do come across, like I said, all sorts of kids in different backgrounds. And, you know, I was horrified. That was only in November last year. And it just literally horrified me. So we talked about it and, you know, a couple of other business uh, businesses that I know got together and we said, right, okay, how are we gonna how are we gonna fix this? So yeah, that is something I'd be very keen to do. That and the and the kids um education stuff. Well that's a really inspirational five year plan. That's incredible. <laughs> it's I you know, it, it will happen. It's just it's, we just gotta work out how best to do it because I've already spoken to a couple of schools and, you know, initially they're a little bit um I don't know, they're a bit reticent about it. I don't know why. Well I do know why they've got to protect the kids and some bloke turning up like me saying, oh, I'm going to come and talk to the kids about finance probably is a little bit off-putting. But I think we just got to break down a few barriers and then we'll get it sorted. Definitely. I mean, it's it, they have they have health education, don't they? They have um, they have cooking sometimes and all that kind of stuff. So why not financial education too? Uh, absolutely. And I, you know, I think it should be part of the curriculum. And, and somebody might say, well, it already is. But it may be, yeah. But, you know, I want to do it the Die Rose way. I don't want to do it you know, how, how Tarquin would do it. I want to do it how Di Rose would do it because I think the kids will engage and as long as they're eight years old, they'll be able to understand <laughs> it because they'll get no different treatment to my 50, 60-year-old clients would, you know? Love it. So that's, that's the plan. That's fantastic. Well, I think we'll finish there, Di. That's amazing. Thank you so, so much for talking to me. No problems. Thank you very much. Let's check out the key takeaways from this episode. One. There are some jobs which conjure up stereotypes. Traffic wardens, politicians, financial advisors. Doesn't matter if it's fair or not, people will make assumptions about you because of the job you do. So if you're trying to get a particular message across, you could be at a disadvantage before you've even opened your mouth. Di Rose addresses that head on, saying there's no Rolexes or Tarquins in his office. He uses humour and honesty to make a connection with his audience and cut through any preconceptions they might have. Two, what shone through in the interview is that Dai was just being himself. He's authentic and real, which I suspect is why his business is so successful. The interview was a case study for the marketing concept of know, like and trust. 
I feel we got to know Di during the interview. I certainly found him likeable. And that leads to trust. And people are more likely to buy from a brand that they have a relationship with. Three, I think there's a powerful link between business storytelling and corporate social responsibility. CSR is about your values and ethics, you the business owner and you the human being. In Dai's case, he's combining his work as a kids rugby coach with his work as a financial advisor, helping the children in his community. He's supporting the poorest kids by literally supplying food and funding activities, but he's also hatching plans for the future to educate them and improve their prospects. The stories Dai told were inspiring and thought-provoking, and that's storytelling at its best. Well, I'm not sure how it happened, but we've almost got to the end of the series, just one episode left. I really do hope this storytelling for business journey of discovery has been useful for you. I've certainly learned a huge amount from all my amazing guests this series. So for our last episode, I thought it would be really useful to summarise everything we found out and give you a list of actionable tips to help you be the best business storyteller around. And, lucky listener, I've pulled it all together in episode 9, Toolkit of Storytelling Takeaways, and it's ready when you are. But for now, there's just time to say another huge thanks to Di Rose from Sterling Welsh. If you're looking for straight-talking financial advice that an eight-year-old can understand, please get in touch with Di and his team. The contact details and Sterling Welsh's website address are in the show notes. Just don't ask for Tarquin. I'm Katie Flamman. And this is Storytelling for Business. Till next time, goodbye.